Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 290. Joining us this week, our good friend Aaron Higgins returns to the pod. Uh, just a joyous presence in an otherwise sort of dour week. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll talk this week uh, about uh, the Electoral College confirmation. We'll also talk about the attempted coup on the U.S. Capitol. We'll talk about Trump being banned from Twitter. Uh, we'll also do some history lessons. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about a little stick to sports, some sports-related segments, uh, plus our mailbag and Spotify picks for the week. All of this, folks, and so, so much more. Uh, as always, you know, especially after my 35th birthday, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that you guys are here. It's the Uticast. Oh, yeah. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. It is the Ubicast episode 290. Uh, I don't know if I've ever looked forward to an episode less than really? doing <laughs> doing this week's episode. Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't know why. I just I feel like every this is all dead serious conversation about stuff in the world. You know, this pod is primarily about like. For me, at least, like breaking down the most important local, national news stories, how we relate to them, how it relates to people in our community, people outside our community. Mm. But I feel like all the stories this week are much greater than just our community, sort of like the global community, the world community. Uh, and because all the stuff's pretty heavy, I'm just not super excited about it. I like when the shows are light and we're talking about like movie lists and taco taco flavors. <laughs> Is that, can I do a whole show of just different taco flavors? Is that? I mean, yeah, 100%. That's literally 100% your choice. I know, I know. I feel, I would feel like I'm not, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I'd be ignoring everything if I just did a show where we didn't talk at all about anything that happened this week. Hmm. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's start with some good news, though, because I have some good stuff to start off the week. First one is the return of GFOP, Aaron Higgins, who joined me, uh, yesterday, uh, via Zoom for a little birthday conversation. So we Mm. shared that with you guys. We, of course, talked about all the different uh, aspects of her job now. Of course, she's kindergarten teaching, how you transition kindergarten teaching into a digital platform and the struggle she's gone through with that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, because it's Aaron Higgins, we also spent 15 minutes talking about the New York Mets. So shout out. A wonderful birthday treat for you. <laughs> a great birthday treat. Birthday treat for the listeners. Uh, for me. And I have it was to your s- birthday. You should probably say that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to say that, too. Uh, I have to say, I don't uh, I don't normally make a huge deal out of my birthday. I don't like to. It's not my particular scene. But I will say, mm. I had a very nice birthday. Good. All things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a great book from you, Kev. Aha, very excited for it. Always uh, love to hit with a book. I take a lot of pride if I can hit with a book gift. Uh, Kate and Justin uh, made me a cake. Well, Kate made me a cake, and then Kate and Justin delivered it. And mm-hmm. Justin delivered me all sorts of... Fried food for the air fryer, despite what Kate was saying, the cake had just the right amount of butter. Mm. It was exactly the right amount of butter. Uh, and then my mom made me a cherry pie. So we're loaded with desserts. Mm. Uh, it was very sweet. It was very nice. Uh, and then I got the greatest uh, birthday gift of all. Mm. Uh, the Buffalo Bills on Saturday, the day before my birthday, won their first playoff game in 25 years. Mm. So for all you Buffalo Bills fans out there, 
It was a big moment for us. It was a nice moment a in the middle moment of all the, the fans. of all the garbage of the world. Like it was, it was good. It was a nice moment. They really made me suffer for it because that's what the Bills do. <laughs> the Bills make you suffer as a Bills. It's never easy. It's always got to be some like drawn out nightmare. But they did it. We're here for another week. I was tr- I was trying to think the first time since the '90s that the Bills are playing after my birthday that wasn't like a Super Bowl. So maybe there's some. All right, I'll just zip that in after I'm taking phone call edits here live on the show. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever it sounds like. Who knows? <laughs> who knows what happened? Oh, man. Um, and I guess we should talk about COVID for a second because we're not going to talk about it again for the rest of my write-up here. Uh, earlier today, the former commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Scott Godlieb, uh, was quoted as saying that we need to get a vac- the vaccine out more quickly because it's our, really our only tool for stopping this. There are currently... Uh, 40 days in a row in the United States with 100,000 people hospitalized because of COVID. Uh, And also, earlier this week, the U.S. crossed a very grim threshold, uh, reporting more than 4,000 new COVID-19 deaths in a single day, which Mm -hmm. is a new high. Uh, And it's all very scary, and all of this is like the ninth story of the week, (laughs) which is really, which really tells you what this week was was like. Um, Yeah, man. I feel like with everything that's going on, people sort of are forgetting that COVID is going on. Like it became like uh, became like the second story. This I week. think that's just weird time dilation. It's not like people forget that COVID's going on because something else has been the lead story for like five days. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that means anybody, any serious-minded human being, has forgotten about COVID. Mm-hmm. But yes, it is strange. It is unprecedented to see it not be the top headline. Yeah. But this is. This is what's happened all throughout the pandemic. When there was any one different news story for a day, folks were like, oh, have they forgotten about COVID? No, they haven't forgotten about COVID. No. And that's... You know what I mean? The news has to report on everything. Well, I just mean this is pretty grim COVID news, and I, I, I don't see yeah. quite as many people talking about it, taking it as seriously as I'd like mm-hmm. to, and, I, you know, for reasons that we'll discuss momentarily. My original plan for this mm-hmm. week's show, when, we, when I thought about it, was we were going to talk about the Electoral College divisively confirming Joe Biden as president earlier on Monday uh, with a 306 to 232 total. And we were also going to talk about John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, who uh, won the Georgia Senate runoff races, Mm -hmm. uh, which now means that Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote and the Democrats have taken back control of both the House and the Senate. So these were all really excited things I was ready to talk about. And Mm then I guess we saw the attempted failed coup on our Capitol by... What we call insurrectionists. I know people have been sort of going back and forth with terms. I'm I'm alternately going between insurrectionist, domestic terrorist, and rioters. I guess I'm not doing rioters. Not doing rioters. I'm not doing that's no, that's disgusting to me. No, I'm not yeah. doing that at all. Well, what are you going with? Are you going with insurrectionist, domestic terrorist? Like, what's the word? I mean, yeah, that's that's what yeah. they are. They're terrorists. They're yeah, insurrectionists. You know, that's what happened. Anybody who tries to you know, you see a lot of wild backtracking, um, a lot of people disingenuously trying to compare it to, like, folks looting Targets and Gucci stores uh, yeah. over the summer, as if that was the same thing. I mean, but no, this was, I mean, insurrection and sedition writ large, you know. Yeah, I heard an interesting an interesting take, and I want to share this with you. Uh, and it was essentially when Trump went on and said, like, you've been robbed, we're all very special people, but go home, we need peace, we don't need whatever he said, like, his, his lame attempt to mm-hmm. calm everybody down. Did he sort of give away the game? What do you mean? If people, if all these Republican senators and Trump and all these folks who are saying that there is a stolen election happening, if they really believed it, would they actually want people to stop doing what they're doing? Wouldn't they support these people more if they really thought 
the election was really, truly stolen from them, if there was real corruption and real actual voter fraud, wouldn't they be supporting these people who are trying to stop this election fraud that they totally believe happened? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see so much where they haven't besides mealy mouth statements put out after the fact. And I don't think I, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain the notion that that conversation was ever had in good faith Mm -hmm. from these people, from the Hollies and the Cruises all the way down to the lunatics and the House of Representatives. I'm not interested in in talking out of both sides of the mouth and both sidesing the issue that that was ever a good faith conversation that any of these people outside a couple isolated wackos in Congress thought for one second that any of the bullshit they were peddling was true. I'm not going to pretend that that's the case. No, and that's totally right. And I think, uh, you know, because I, I feel like it seems very obvious that guys like Cruz and Holly are just looking to fill the void of Trump when he leaves. Yeah, right? I mean, craven opportunists. Yeah, certainly. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's what kind of, I think that bothered me the most about all of this, though. Like, it's one thing for me to see wackos on the internet. We're going to get to that, too. But to have, like, politicians, like, actual politicians in positions of power who are validating and sort of, like, fanning the flames of false equivalency and, like, all these arguments on the internet, it's, it feels treasonous, right? Like, you, I, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. Like, what Cruz did was an actual treasonous act against the United States. Seditious, yeah. at least. I mean, we want to, it's, a, I'm always a proponent of being precise with language in times like now, you know, even more so. But yeah, I, there's, yeah, I mean, what these people are doing is... The people like Ted Cruz, the people like this who are who are foaming these people up and, and ginning up folks with lies and getting them all gassed up. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a specific act out against uh, American democracy and our form of government as we stand right now. I had a couple quick examples of this. Uh, right wing, uh, well, I guess alt right political activist Ali Alexander said earlier this week that he had been working directly with Arizona representatives Paul Gasser and Andy Biggs on this before the attack on the mm-hmm. Capitol ever happened. They've disavowed it. He did not, is what he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Representative Lauren Boebert, who is a mm-hmm. supporter of the QAnon movement, facing a backlash after she was accused of live tweeting House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's location yeah. during the attack. Yeah, uh, I mean, not accused, she did. Yeah. She didn't even delete that tweet, so it's not like... Yeah, she then followed that up with a tweet that said, Today is 1776, referring to the country's Declaration of Independence, which is also like a, like a QAnon thing. They're the start of a new revolution. This is yeah. their coded language for new revolution. You know, I just... Where's the line? I guess you see a line between like political opportunist and actual seditionist. Like, mid... I feel like Mitt Romney coming out and stepping up being angry for Republic, about Republicans and what they've done to his party is both, I'm glad to see he's doing, but that's also like an opportunity thing. Like, I can be the guy on the other side to be like the good Republican. He, he, he is aware that the opportunity exists there, but I think, uh, I, I do think with Mitt Romney, more than most people on his side, it comes from a purer place. Uh, then a lot like of the folks Lindsey who see Graham. the opportunity to come out and, and yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, somebody like that. Yeah, Lindsey Graham feels like he is like jumping out of the boat, like Mid- on the way Mid- out. Romney, Mitt Romney seems like the last of the Republicans. I remember from my youth when George Bush was the president, where I'm like, I disagree with these guys, mm-hmm. but you know, I still think that that they think that they want what's best for the country or believe in the country as a whole. You know what I mean? And furthermore, all these people calling for, oh, we've just got to move on, you know, we can't have any more division, all this disingenuous bullshit from these guys who have been stoking these fires for 
you know, up to two months to four years to ten years, whatever it is, if if the the plot had worked mm-hmm. on on the sixth, or if their plot on the nineteenth and twentieth work when mm-hmm. they make no mistake do this again yes. in a week or two, mm-hmm. um, if those work, those same people would be gaslighting us into accepting authoritarian rule right now. So I just I'm not going to pr- I. I've never really been interested in entertaining bad faith conversations, and I just can't anymore, like, as a whole. Uh, to follow up with what you're saying, actually, uh, this is from The Independent from today, uh, and this is from Jonathan Greenblatt, who is the CEO of the ADL Anti-Defamation League. Uh, he says, even right now, you're seeing chatter from white supremacists, from far-right extremists that feel emboldened in this moment. Plans for future armed protests have already begun proliferating on and off Twitter, including proposed secondary attacks on the U.S. Capitol and state Capitol buildings. Yeah, they're doing they're yeah. doing state capitals like they've they're specifically out there saying like that's the plan. Yeah, they'll be back and in greater numbers. Uh, I actually thought that Joe Biden. You know, I, I'm I'm not as I'm a little I'm not hard on Joe Biden certainly because I voted for him and I, mm-hmm. I like him just fine. But I I'm not in I wasn't always in love the with the natural Democrat tendency to convince to make sure that people know that you don't like your people too. Yeah, 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 too yeah, yeah. much, right? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't always been overly generous to Biden, I'll sure. say. But I really liked him coming out and saying the the thing that we all knew, the hypocrisy. Like if this was a Black Lives Matter uh protest, or if this was anyone besides white privileged individuals, they would have been shot well, on sight. And that's a that, that's another huge crux of it. You know, I had my own apprehensions about about talking about it on this show this week because there's so many different angles and so much stuff to it. And I'm always a proponent of like if we can't really talk about it and do it justice, then then what are we doing? Um, but that's a huge, huge part of it that I don't think anybody, again, in good faith could tell you exactly. that had those folks who stormed into the Capitol, those folks who beat that cop to death, those folks who you know, did all these various things, were running through the lawmaker's office. If that had been a group of black folks, yeah. there would have been a body count. Yes, absolutely. Body count, body count. And you really can't convince me. And anybody, anybody who tries to say otherwise is is lying yeah. to you. And they're lying to you because they support this authoritarian white supremacist movement in our country. And whether they, they support it in their silence and complicence or whether they support it but don't speak about it in polite company, or whether they support it more in their heart than they would ever admit because they know what it makes them look like, mm-hmm. at a certain point, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is, and you you can see what it is, you know? Do you, uh... Where do you feel with, like, the... Uh, we've talked about this with different issues over the over the years. What are your thoughts on, like, the, the dunking on, on MAGA people that's happened over the last couple of weeks on, like, Twitter and the internet? Like... Does it? I think that's that's too broad of a term to like. What do you mean? Like, should we specifically? We shouldn't be making light of it and like making fun of these folks. We should understand that this was a serious coup attempt on our on our capital and on our system of government. Yeah, correct. Right. Like we, I know that it's really enticing for people. Like I've been on Twitter and seen people joking and laughing about like all these idiots, right? But I think after what you saw on the seventh, on the sixth, you have to you know, take these threats as not just like, oh, this is just some guy on the internet saying something. Like, you don't know. You have to, yeah, sure, you definitely have to take the threats seriously. Um, I think a lot of times people use humor as a coping mechanism, especially people who don't really know what's going on who are just trying to get likes on Twitter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not really always trying to read the room on Twitter, but I think uh, I think something that, you know, I, I think something that you can't indulge is this this domestic abuse victim notion of, oh, well, you know, we can't, 
we can't be too hard on these folks for what they did or we can't call them out because they're only going to get angrier and then they'll do it again and make it worse. We can't, you can't tolerate that kind of behavior Correct. either. So I'm not going to buy into this notion of, oh, well, if liberals would stop calling out all of the the fucking crime and mm-hmm. the, the bad, the awful things and just doing his bad faith, if they would stop talking about it, then we'd stop being so violent. That's never been the case. Well, I think, th- but I think that also ties into how you get people who voted for Trump mm-hmm. and then are embarrassed of what happened, but then their maybe their friends or their that's family a, didn't vote for part Trump. of this. Yeah, and then they sit there and they're like, no, I'm not wrong. You guys are wrong, and I'm going to double it down is... to prove that I'm wrong, that so, I'm right. And it's tough because it's so important. That's why I even think about discussing it on a platform like this, whatever size our platform may be, mm. Stitcher Hive notwithstanding. Certainly. You know, and all of our loyal friends that reach out to people yeah. who do listen. But I think about it even on this platform because realistically in your in your day-to-day life, in your face-to-face interactions with people you care about, it's very, very important to always provide a stable off-ramp supported by love and open arms for friends of yours that want to get off the, the crazy superhighway or off maybe a darker road that they're on. So you have to always have that that willingness to provide these people room to, so to speak, come into the light, as hyperbolic as that language may seem. That has to be there, but, you know, it goes again with meeting people in the middle and then acting in good faith, you know, just because I will provide a stable and loving offering for somebody to, you know, come clean and maybe do some growth as a person or do some do some thought about what they've done or make some amends. What I'm not going to do is just let them continue to run rickshaw and then cry foul every time anybody says something about them. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that, like the little kid in your neighborhood that's like, I'm taking my ball and going home because you're cheating because I lost. Sore loser brigade. I'm not doing sore loser brigade. Yeah. Look at a sir. I can tolerate a lot and be open-armed a lot mm-hmm. for a lot of folks, but like at a certain point too, you got to be willing to meet. You know, if you want people to meet you in the middle, y- y'all got to come out to the middle. Because yeah. you've been walking us back further right for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So if you truly want to meet in the middle and you truly mean that, you know where to find it. Very well said. Uh, let's keep talking about Twitter for a second because this is also the other huge story, if you want to call it that, from earlier this week. Uh, Twitter has suspended President Trump from its platform, the company said on Friday evening. Mm. Uh, this is a quote, after close review of recent tweets from the Donald, real Donald Trump account, and the context around them, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Uh, in the context of Horrific News this week, we've made it clear on Wednesday that the additional violations of the Twitter rules would potentially result in this very course of action. Uh, yeah, we've I've seen tons of takes on this already about uh, Trump being removed from Twitter. Uh, is this a breach of his First Amendment rights, or should this have happened sooner? Of course <laughs> it's not. Of course it's not. Nobody who understands the First Amendment will try to tell you that. Yeah. Um, anybody who says... The, collo- the colloquialism of like, oh, we've got free speech, are the same people that try to use innocent until proven guilty about like sex offenders. Those kind of folks, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, this is, your First Amendment only protects you from the government restricting something you say or yes. arresting you for what you say. Twitter's a private company, much like, you know, the gay wedding cake company or all these other people. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> which is, it's a it's a clunky analogy and it's not, it, it pulls too far the right to actually use it so i'm trying not to like beat it to death but any of these things these people will say that you know a private company can do whatever they want twitter doesn't owe you a platform correct you know what i mean people have you can say whatever you want but people have the right to think you're an asshole and show you where the door is yeah that's just the way it goes yeah and i think too you know and again it, this is a beaten to death analogy right you, you, people use this constantly you can't walk into a movie theater and yell 
fire or bomb, mm-hmm. right? That's a really obvious analogy because it's true, right? You have to own the responsibility mm-hmm. that comes with your actions, right? right. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I've seen people, you know, if, if I, like, say something in Twitter that's pretty liberal or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. People will, like, can't, you know, like, if someone says to me, like, oh, you shouldn't say that. I'm like, I would say that to you in person. I would say that to anybody. <laughs> I'd say it to anybody. I don't oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of these people I see who would say things anonymously on the internet would not say them in public, in good faith, in good in front of people, because the the anonymity of the internet isn't there to shield their, you know, their darkest, deepest thoughts. A lot of folks know some of the shit they believe is reprehensible. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things, too, where I, we can't entertain this notion that, like, oh, well, somebody got suspended for their opinion. If your opinion is, like, literally march up to, like, inciting violence, mm-hmm. if it's violent rhetoric that's getting people hurt, that's beyond just an opinion. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, oh, well, these folks think that healthcare should be free and we think that they should execute the Democrats. Those aren't just two opinions, and it's disingenuous, bad faith. I mean, the theme of this week's segment. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, and here's the other thing, too. You know, he's been deplatformed from all these different... You know, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the different... You've seen people joking around about it. He's the President of the United States. If he really wanted to hold a briefing or have a television thing, he could do it. He, they have a whole press... No, yeah. Briefing. No, 100%. They're called press conferences. Press conferences. He hasn't had them in four years because this yeah. allows him to be shielded and lied from any real questions. Hmm. I mean, Ronald Reagan didn't have a fucking Twitter account either. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know what you want from me. Uh, it's, just, it's garbage. It's just bad arguments meant to muddy the water. Well, uh, this is a New York Times report from Maggie Haveman earlier uh, this weekend that said essentially the reason he won't do it is because he doesn't like to be asked questions that he doesn't know the answer of to. Of course. Which is why Twitter is, is the perfect... Well, that's why Twitter was the perfect platform for yeah, him, yeah. right? Because he never had to directly respond to mm-hmm. a journalist or a press secretary or somebody who was like the person who says a bunch of ill shit to you on the phone and then hangs up before you can answer them yeah no it's true that's who that is uh, yeah uh representative uh, J- uh house majority whip and representative james claiborne a democrat from south carolina said that the articles of impeachment against donald trump uh are coming out and they would probably be voted on on tuesday or maybe wednesday you have any thoughts about this i don't think they're gonna i don't know i don't think it's gonna end with him leaving the office do you think uh, I mean, no, it should. The fact that they're slow walking yeah. it this much should has, I mean, should have everybody up in arms and begging questions. They should have done this yeah. on Thursday. But I mean, at least let. I hope that they get every every single sitting member of Congress right now on the record on, on the vote right now. Please, yep. mm-hmm. please, I would love to see that. Yeah, uh, I, I think the idea that Mike Pence was so mad at Trump that he was going to invoke the twenty fifth amendment, twenty fourth amendment, fantasy. Yeah, it was never really going to happen. Twitter, Twitter, resistantainment, Twitter just meant to like placate people and pay yeah. attention to shit. That's garbage. Uh, all right, so I mean, I'm sure that more stuff will happen this week, uh, but for now, I guess that's where we'll leave it. I do have some mm-hmm. other small local, local-ish stuff. This yeah, week. I always love local. Well, local, I mean New York specifically. It was announced earlier this week that Governor Cuomo announced a plan, uh, announced a proposed legalization of marijuana for mm. the state of New York, and also he's talked about uh, New York uh, sports betting as the next thing that New York could legalize. Kind of hypocritical since he's the lone person responsible for marijuana being illegal at the federal level. It is true. The only you man know, who's... <laughs> the only man responsible for the bad in the first place, so kind of a hypocrite. But... Uh, I mean, if you really wanted to make some money for a state that's struggling to make, you know, where everyone's struggling to make money right now, like, there's a lot of money in marijuana and there's a lot of money in gambling. I yeah. mean, you see a lot of other states have done it. I mean, since since the since the the beginning of this country, you know, New York has been a bit of a powerhouse in farming a lot of specific crops. 
um, you know, different things that whether we were, you know, for the hops that we used to produce in this state for all the beer way back in the day. It's, you know, all the various were famous for the apples, different things. So, yeah, I mean, let the people farm the plants, right? Uh, like, let the people farm the plants. Uh, this is from, uh, in terms of the gambling, uh, they sort of said, you know, New Yorkers are betting anyway, and now that betting is no longer legal on the federal level. Mm. Uh, geography, not state law, is the biggest factor. And a lot of people are just gambling in neighboring states. So why would you just, why give that other state the money? Yeah. You know, why just keep it for 100%. yourselves, right? So, yeah, New Jersey in particular has benefited from New York's inability to legalize sports betting as close to 20% of its yearly betting handle is from New Yorkers specifically. Mm -hmm. So New Jersey's making all our money on on gambling. Yeah. Uh, Quick no-duh for you this week. Uh, A study earlier this week has shown that anger and humans who are angry increases your vulnerability to be uh, confused by misinformation. Which we will now follow 60 seconds of silence. (laughs) This is from scientists. Being angry and completely overrun with anger at the world so that the anger vibrates out of your report on a day-to-day basis leaves you very susceptible to misinformation and believing things that aren't true. <laughs> uh, researchers found that participants in these yeah, studies... Fake news researchers. Uh, yeah. Tended to be more... scientists. Yeah, participants in the anger condition tended to be more confident in the accuracy of their memories. Really? But among these participants, increased confidence was associated with decreased accuracy. You don't say. Among the neutral condition, however, increased confidence was associated with increased accuracy. So there you go. Again, this is uh, this is one single study, but uh, a little no duh when I read it, when I hear it yeah, in my yeah. head. And let's love, do... They just love these ones. The sky is blue. The sky is a study blue. to show that it's blue. <laughs> and this week's Diego Maradona Big Energy Award goes to the first time to a company. That's right, Axe Deodorant Body Spray. Uh, earlier this week... Axe deodorant body spray distanced itself from pro-Trump rioters after a can of their well-known body spray was found in the debris left at the U.S. Capitol. Yeah. Uh, Left alone by the mob, and a lonely can of Axe body spray was what the caption for uh, Washington Post journalist Mike's uh, Mike DeBonis' photo was. <laughs> Axe retweeted this saying, We'd rather be lonely than with the mob. Axe condemns yesterday's actions of violence and hate at the Capitol. We believe in the democratic process and the peaceful transition to power. So, Axe deodorant body spray. I don't love your product. Don't love the smell of it. Probably wouldn't buy it. But I love the energy. Mm-hmm. Big energy. Good for that, man. <laughs> Big energy. Did you, did you use Axe deodorant body spray when you were in high school? Like everyone did. I don't think I don't think it was out when we were in like high school, high school. But yeah, oh. there was a time. It was definitely out because me, and my I remember my boys having it in their lockers, and their lockers mm. would smell like their whole lockers mm. would stink because yeah, they just I guess leave. So. Yeah, yeah, no, there was definitely a time. I'm trying to think of what the f- I think there was. I have to look back at the names, but I had whatever one was the cool. It had a it's dragon made up, so like blade, <laughs> blaze, danger, yeah, juice. Uh, all right, so this was this was a tough week as I mentioned. I didn't love doing all this. Um, mm. But I felt like we had to do some of it. So let's let's do something that's a lot more fun. Mm. Let's talk to our good friend, one of the original hosts of the show, one of my oldest friends. You may know her as a teacher in Clinton, teaching kindergarten. You may know her as a baseball aficionado. Local legend. Local legend, Aaron Higgins. We're so happy to talk to her. Let's go to our interview with... Hello. 
Oh, that's very sweet. Birthday to you. Happy birthday, you old man. It's, Happy angry. birthday to you. Oh, that was lovely. I'm, I Thank hope you. you know that was recorded and it's going right in the interview. It's fine. <laughs> I thought it was much, honestly. How old are you now, Grandpa? I am 35 years old. Oh, yes. I'm, which no. means I'm halfway to 70. I thought about that this morning. Well, me too. So don't feel bad. We're both halfway to 70 at this point. I yeah, think I only know that because my mom called me this morning to tell me that I'm now half her age for another three months. And I was like, great. That's thanks, mom. That feels gross. <laughs> it's nice to see you, by the way. I haven't seen you in such a long time. This pandemic has got us all hiding in little hidey holes around the town. And it's 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 terrible. It's it is what it is, but it feels like it, I haven't seen you in a year. It's it's true. I honestly feel like I really I feel like I haven't seen anybody. Like outside of like the two people who live on my street and the, my mom who I get food dropped off from like every other day or so because she's really like bored up there. Yeah. I feel like I'm I'm feel like I'm by myself all the time. Yep. Is this I, go, I go to work, so that's the only thing that's different for me. So let's talk about that actually, because I got some fun stuff I want to talk about with you. Yeah, but of I course. Feel like I should, you know. I, I got to know a little bit about what's going on with you for teaching. Like, are you in buildings right now? I'm, my kids are not. Your, I'm your sorry. Are... You don't understand. I Zoom all day long for a living now. <laughs> so you'll like, forgive me while I'm just preening my wet hair here. Like no, just preening great. the whole time while I'm looking. Cause I'm looking at myself, Sam. Like I love you, but I'm looking at me. Let's I'm also looking at you. I'm not looking at me. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a good look right now. Um, so I am the virtual kindergarten teacher. Mm -hmm for the year, which means that I've started my uh, virtual learning in September. I have 20 kindergarten kids in a laptop, which is something, so, which is something. Now, do the school supply their laptops or do they all have to have laptops? No, the school supplied them. Okay. And I, I know from my years of using Google Classroom, what a pain it was for me to transition all of my terrestrial lesson plans to digital, and that was even just some stuff. So, for folks out there who don't understand what kind of a what kind of a, a job that is, how long did it take you guys to start converting everything you've done? Um, it took me a while. The problem is, is that I was a lone wolf. Yeah. So I was I had to figure out how to do things on my own. Each grade level in Clinton has a virtual educator, so there's one of us per grade. So we kind of were able to work together. Some of us are more um, capable yeah. of these digital uh, things. Like I'm the least digital person. I don't know anything. I'm paper and pencil. I'm chalkboard and chalk. But some some of us were better at this than others. So I, I had a lot of really fast training. Mm -hmm. And it, it it took a long time. It took a really long time. And it's it's interesting because we had about three weeks notice. Yeah. Because they didn't know. Because just like the pandemic, you don't know. Yes. So it's unpredictable and it's, it's unexpected. So when they did find out and they were like, Hey, you guys are going to be the ones that are doing this. I, I had a, a moment where I was like, that's physically, I mean, that's impossible. How do you teach kindergarten? So much of kindergarten is, you know, learning tech, you know, tactile and, and tactile and I, I don't know, singing and dancing and up and moving. So it was kind of a switch. Yeah. It was and that's kind of a switch. And that's something that I think about all the time too. Just, we've talked about this a million times before about the difference between how you have to teach to your kids and the way I always had to teach to like the high school kids, even the high school kids who are 
tech savvy and can understand all the computer stuff, they still don't really respond the way you would like to. No. The, they like the idea of being able to just like pop in and do their stuff, but it's it's not engaging and it offers a lot of opportunity for kids to just like phase out and just not fall right through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Self-imposed falling through the cracks. Uh, I, I know that I don't have a significant amount of, of chatter between the high school and the elementary school on this subject yeah. specifically because they are doing some, I mean, what they do is lot, when we had kids in, in, in house, yeah. when we were working with cohorts and A and B days and one and two and, and this sanitizing between all of that stuff was so intense that we didn't have an opportunity to kind of like teach each other any aspect of what we were doing in case we needed to roll out the plan either way. So the problem here is, is that the high school is live streaming yeah. some of their uh, remote kids into the high school classes, which is insane, but logical. Mm. And we didn't have that ability because kids, they don't, I mean, how's that going to work for first grade? That's just not. So yeah. it's, it's, it's been different. It's been very different. I learned a lot this year so far. I've learned a lot about myself as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot about the internet and how those things work. I learned a lot about Google Docs, which is great. Top 10. I love Google Docs, by the way. I can't. I, I do too. I'll never go back. because like, I was never organized before. This was a huge benefit for me. I love making like little, like I'm super organized. I'm like extremely OCD about it. Everything has like a file and within that file are like subcategories and, and I'll do that for like three weeks and everything will be beautiful. And then I'll just stop paying attention and save everything to my drive. And it's a nightmare again when I go back. I mean, I, and I think most teachers I know, and I'm sure you're in this with me, right? Uh, the job is the job. We want to show up and want to do whatever the job requires. But I think we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't wish that we were in a world where we were back in a physical classroom with students. I hope that yeah. that's clear to most people who are not teachers. Like every teacher I know would prefer to be in a classroom. Do you know what I mean? You're not wrong. Yeah. You're absolutely not wrong. I think it's, uh, the interesting part is that even though we're remote now, I'm still going to work. Yeah, which is interesting. Is that just because they don't want to like, uh, you don't want to show people your house or could you, could you do it from home? Or are they telling you you have to? more work in my house. Here, hang on one second. I'm going to do something real quick before you. I'm going to change over. Oh, to no. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Against Aaron, can you hear me? All right, hang on. 125. There we go. Oh, there you go. Can I hear you now? This is the problem with Zoom. No, no. You know what happens? I uh, I have one of those problems. <laughs> Let me write down the time. I have one of those uh, Wi-Fi connections where there's the Wi-Fi and then there's the Wi-Fi that says 5G after it. I do and, too. And if I don't change over before the interviews, stuff like that happens. Really? I'll go back and edit it. No worries. I'm not worried about it. it it's beautiful. It's beautiful content. Um, <laughs> it's real life content. Here we are educating from but my couch. A good it's example just, of why you wouldn't do it from your house, right? It happens in class too. It happens all the time in the building because the building's made of like cement and everybody's trying to do it at the same time. I do it from, uh, I do, I have taught from my living room. I have taught from my dining room table. I don't, I mean, I did it two days last week, Yeah. but I 
the, the difference is, is that my schedule is so different from other grade levels. I send home things every month that kids are cutting and gluing and writing and coloring. Like we have these intense amounts of packet stuff that are just like funner. That's a word yeah. like, but easier for the kids to manipulate with their fingers. It's like, it's uh, OT skills and all those types of things, putting beads on a string. And the problem is, is that when I do it in my living room, I don't have the right document camera to show them that I'm show, you know what I mean? That I'm doing the exercise. This is how Ms. Higgins cuts. And so it's easier to do things from my actual classroom. I teach nine times out of 10 with my smart board behind me so that I'm like utilizing it for them. I, uh, I talk about this all the time. All of my moves for teaching require classroom. I do that thing that some cool teachers do in the movies where like I get on top of a desk and I'll be like, hey, let's yes! can we like wrap together for a second guys? Like I do that and the kids hate that. They think I'm uh, corny, but it works because they know I'm- like a charm. It does. Because <laughs> they know I'm trying to tell them something serious about like life and reality, right? If I sit down and get on their level. Um, I sit down I, and like, when that, my move for that is I go, guys, we need to talk about something and it's a pretty serious secret. Oh, a secret. That's good. Secret. That's and I sit on the floor and tell them like, at the end of your sentence, if you don't have punctuation, then nobody knows it's the end of your sentence. Don't tell anybody. But it's hard to whisper with a laptop. I don't know if we ever talked about this before. You know, as a, as a kindergarten level, you're basically doing everything. Is there any particular subjects you prefer to teach and that you find more frustrating? Like I you think it sort of, it kind of ebbs and flows with the curriculum. Yeah. Because right now, I mean, we teach reading, essentially. Reading, Super yeah. nuts, reading. And I love that, but the problem is, is that my kids don't have the physical books yep. in front of them. So I, I'm doing, you know, you're sharing things, uh, you're screen sharing, and you're like, okay, here's my mouse. Do you see where my mouse is pointing? And they're like, no. So, so that's kind of the trickier one. Math is kind of an easier subject right now because it's, well, right now it's shapes. So we're really good with shapes. Uh, they can draw the shape. I can describe a shape. It's love a lot shape. of talking in shapes. <laughs> I think as far as preference, preference, preference. I personally really enjoy the social skills aspect of kindergarten, the emotional uh, social development of kids, the, the developmental stuff really the OTPT skills, the little pinchers and, and getting yourself little tweezers and picking up little fuzzy balls, because that is the stuff where, where you really need to monitor and pay attention to the kids individually. So if you're not paying attention to each individual friend, then, then you kind of lose one along the way. And that's, that's hard for me to feel like you're losing a child along the way. And you're like, Oh, did I not address that? Oh, sorry. But that's always been my favorite, that kind of stuff. See, for, for when you get to high school, and I'm not sure teachers know this, obviously, and people know this, you know, it gets obviously more splintered, you know, yeah. history departments, you know, when I was doing global history, you know, it all becomes really insular, it becomes like, instead of like, we're going to teach everything, I'm like, let's do three weeks on the Russian Revolution, let's do two weeks, you know what I mean, like, it's, and that's, and that's really dry for the kids, too, like, but. I don't I, know, the Russian Revolution was a blast. I, <laughs> I find it interesting. And the kids can find it interesting if I present it to them because they can tell that I think it's interesting. But if I make, a lot of teachers, especially in history, will make like the actual slides themselves with just narration over the top. And the kids, they don't, they don't like that. They don't want to hear you talking over a slide with you not there. It's, it's like you're watching a really boring documentary. 
really boring, <laughs> slow moving documentary. With no uh, cool pictures or scenes of revolution. Your, your kids are too young for Kahoot, but we do a lot of Kahoot, which if people don't know what that is. Uh, Google school, it. Yeah, high school kids love Kahoot. Like there's, like it's going out of style. It's their favorite. I love Kahoot. I love Kahoot. I freaking love Kahoot. And I want to use it so desperately. I want to share a whiteboard. I want to use Kahoot. I want to do, um, there's something else that the kids absolutely love. There's like an Ed puzzle thing that the kids eat up. And I love that stuff. And I wish that now that I've learned about it, I want to utilize it because it's so cool. Kahoot is a top 10 though. And I, I have so many uh, friends or have heard of so many high school teachers just eating it up so i say good for you congratulations kahoot your brains out it's really wild though and i wish that people you know the last part of my student teaching we had to do these like technology summits at different schools like twice during the thing and essentially what it was is we would go to like um just some local school in the district and they would sit down and show us all these different new uh programs and apps and tech stuff and it was only like an hour long it was actually kind of interesting but it was well it's better than the, the training that we received before it was like go <laughs> yeah so, i'm actually kind of jealous but even looking at some of the stuff that like oh, i don't see a lot of schools utilizing but exists there's some pretty wild like augmented reality and virtual reality stuff depending on what kind of schools you have and what kind of budget your schools have which none of the schools i've ever worked at have had. <laughs> oh you guys got them <laughs> we have vr headsets like one or two groups of VR headsets. And essentially what it is, is like you put a, um, it's one of like the lower, lower range ones because yeah. we're giving them to children. But what we used to do with them in elementary school in kindergarten was we do this thing called holidays around the world. And in December, we talk about different holidays that happen and what they look like and what that means. So we would present these holidays. And at the very end, the kids would travel on a little, you know, like we would give them plane tickets and suitcases. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And they'd get their little like country badges every time they visited a new classroom. And we would do little crafts in each classroom. And it was, I taught Sweden and Israel. It was a big, big hit. <laughs> we made um, St. Lucia Day, like head wreaths with the candles made out of paper, of course. And um, uh, about 18 menorahs. It was, it was awesome. My kids loved it. So then at the very end, they'd have this opportunity to see like uh, VR, I don't know, headset holidays. And so it would just be like this little, like a, they'd, you almost like you take the headset and you slide in like an iPhone, but not an iPhone, but like an iPhone. Yeah, whatever kind of digital device, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. And they, the photo would be in here on the phone or whatever on the screen. And then they put it on and they can be in the middle of this picture and they'd like look around. So we do like Chinese New Year and they'd see, they'd be in all the lanterns and everywhere they looked like they were in those scenes. And it was really cool. I got very dizzy, so I did not participate. It sounds about right. But the I, kids imagine, I loved it. You know, I, I, I'm a, I was a, not as much as I used to be, but I, I played a lot of video games growing up and I look at like the virtual reality thing and it seems imposing. I don't know if I'd want to put like a virtual reality like headset on and go like, fight zombies it seems intense I don't know if it sounds like a lot of fun for me it's, uh, like you said imposing is the term I'd use too yeah. it's, it's too much it's sensory overload and then you take it off and you're in your living room and you're like oh okay yeah. it's like black mirror a little bit it's got some black I was just gonna say it's like black mirror uh well let's talk about uh let's get into baseball because I do want to talk baseball with you and uh 
you know, it is a Sunday afternoon. I'm sure you want to watch. Well, let's actually start with the NFL because football. I have the Ravens Titans game on or tech Titans. Yeah. Titans game on it's right over there and I could care less. It's on in the green room uh, right here to the right. So I can't tell exactly who's winning. Let Titans. me ask you a question. You're a Giants fan. Uh, my stepdad's a Giants fan. Yes, we are. Uh, I want to ask you this. Are you mad at the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, of course. Um, I think that <laughs> <You are. laughs> I'm always mad at the Philadelphia Eagles, like regardless of situation. I just hate them so hard. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a Giants fan and you don't absolutely despise the Philadelphia Eagles, then you're not a real Giants fan. Um, but yeah, I think that that was the, the decision to not play. Yeah. Decision to be... <laughs> Like Doug Marone made a scumbag move there. That's all I can say about that. Listen, Doug Marone is a well-known scumbag. So, True that. Wait, Doug Peterson or Doug Marone? Is Doug Peterson? I'm sorry, Doug Peterson. Not Doug. Doug Marone's lovely. No, no. Doug Marone also well-known scumbag. That's what I said. <laughs> I don't feel bad at all. All right. Stuff. Every Doug. All the NFL Dougs. So you, so you don't want to see the Bills win, certainly. Oh, yes, I do. You do. You're rooting for the Bills. Oh, big time. I, big I, time. I was rooting for Washington yesterday. I struggle as a Bills fan because every major outlet that I'm reading, every like ESPN or Ringer or like Defector article that I read is like, oh, this Bills team, they're 13 and three. They're pretty good. This is going to be their thing. And up until yesterday, I'm like, yo, this team has never won. Why are we pretending that like this is like something? I was waiting for them to blow that game yesterday. I was so disappointed. I was so I, I was tweeting about it and people were getting mad at me because I was like too negative. I'm like, listen, I'm a Bills fan. I'm telling you, they don't deserve to win this game. <laughs> They certainly did not deserve to win that game. <laughs> did not at all. I had to, like, I had it on and I was, I'm uh, renovating my kitchen right now. The kitchen in the Higgins house is getting a significant oh. overhaul. Oh yeah, it is. So fun. Uh, <laughs> a renovation. I'm, I'm documenting my renovation. It's called Small Reno. Tic- it's on TikTok and I've been documenting my renovation. So far, it's just been like how many holes I've put in the wall trying to accomplish other things. Are you doing this by yourself? Uh, no. (laughs) Do you need help is what I'm getting at. No. So right now I have a crew. And if you go to the TikTok and you watch the renovation updates, you'll know that the crew is my dad. And so far we have accomplished making a mess. Well, I'm actually, that leads into a question that I was going to ask you actually. Oh, wait a minute. I had the Bills game on. And every time I came back, I was like, winning? Uh, Are you sure? Still? Winning. I saw a tweet about Josh Allen yesterday that essentially said, what's really exciting about Josh Allen is that he always does Josh Allen stuff. And that could mean anything. (laughs) It could mean a good thing. It could mean a bad thing. I don't know. I I don't think, I figured out that this is the first time since like the nineties that the bills have played past my birthday. 95. yeah, since like the Super Bowl, whatever the last. 1995. Super- I know that because I saw that on television yesterday. I'm not just some sort of like statistics guru or timeline genius. I just saw that on TV yesterday when they won. I was like, 95, huh? Good for them. You know, I I only have so many sad sack teams left. The Yankees have won a lot. Uh, Liverpool just won this year. Congratulations. The- Which the- reminds me, I started watching Ted Lasso. Oh, do you like it? Are you loving it? Oh my God. Is it the greatest show on television? Yes. 
I don't have Apple TV, but my sister has been harping on me to to get it. So I got to find a way to watch it somehow. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'll use legal means on the internet, is what I will say here with my air quotes. Uh, <laughs> I'll just text you later about that. All right. So let's get to baseball though, because I do want to talk baseball before uh, before we do lightning round questions. Okay. Did you hear that the Mets are like a team again? Okay. So Francisco Lindor to the Mets. Now this was a trade, yes, because I, I I didn't do my research on this. Who did I you did. Oh, obviously I did. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you guys give up for this? Um, the big name is Ahmad Rosario. Which means I've never heard of him, which means he's probably a prospect. Yes? No. He played on our team for a really long time. He was only a Met. He was drafted at like 16. Um, drafted. He was picked who signed at six. He was never drafted. He was signed from uh, the Dominican League at 16 and played on our farm team for a while and then has been playing on the team for the past like four or five years shortstop great guy only wanted to be a met like live and die met and we were like he uh you know just like every other met runs extremely hot for four to five days and then cold for the rest of the season and so it produced a lot of like yeah Ahmad rosario is my number one guy for about a weekend and then you're like why are you still playing it's my favorite thing about uh, not just you, but all Mets fans is you guys are a little bit like, I don't want to say the Knicks because you're going to take that the wrong way, but I love the New York Knicks. Right? I love the Knicks. Love the Knicks. Love them. And every year I can try and sell myself on whatever the Knicks do, whatever it is. I'm like, oh, Obi Toppin quickly. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Stars in like two months. The, the Mets fans have an eternal optimism for like what could be right around the corner. And what's kind of weird is I feel like the Mets get unfairly maligned as a team that doesn't win enough. When you guys have been in the Super, uh, the World Series relatively recently. 15 was our last World Series uh, appearance. But I mean, the problem is like, I celebrate when the Knicks uh, like tie their shoes. So. <laughs> my, my expectations are very low. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look at you. You made bunny ears. Uh, good for you. <laughs> So I'm just jazzed about that. Are they like recognize that a basketball is there around them? So, yeah. and that I'm, that's coming from a fan who literally is like, I'll watch a half of a game one time. So oh. I'm, I'm horrible at basketball, but the Mets, we have this unwavering hope and yeah. un, but like hope that comes with strings. It's unwavering. We're hopeful. Every single season starts and I'm like, this is the season. And then, you know deep down that this is not the season, but you do it anyway because you want the people to, you want the guys to succeed. Like you genuinely want the Pete Alonzo's and the Michael Conforto's and the, I mean, those kids, the Jeff McNeil's, you want those people to succeed. And when every season comes around and it comes to be maybe like August, hmm. not even June. And you're like, we have a two-time Cy Young winner, award winner in our, in our bullpen or uh, at our, as our starter, we have um, the rookie home run champion uh, and uh, whatever we have people whose statistics individually are insane. And then what is happening is we just can't make puzzle pieces fit together. It's like we wet the corners of puzzle pieces and just mash them together. So it's, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, it's weird, right? Because I feel like since I was, since the 90s, since the, since the Yankees last won the World Series in 2009, 
in a really long time. Yeah. Oh my God. It was like ages ago. I feel like I, because I watched the Yankees win in my formative years, I don't want to sit here and say, I don't care as much about the Yankees anymore, but I feel like the, the glory days of my Yankee fandom were like that 18 through like mid twenties. And as I get older, I'm just sort of casually rooting for them, which is why I like you which is sort of casually catch myself rooting for the Mets because I'd like to see them get the win. Right? Like, I'd like to see- just so scrappy and lovable. There's a scrappiness to it that I appreciate. It's sort it of- Lovable. Have you ever seen any of our interviews? We're adorable. <laughs> How many DMs have you sent Pete Alonzo? Over, under 10, 15? Give or take 14. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. want to know the best part? So Pete Alonzo, we met him um, at the beginning of his rookie season. He, that was the season that they came to Syracuse for the last week of preseason. Um, and no, for training camp, excuse me. Uh, preseason, I don't care. Anyway, um, they came and were doing, I don't remember which one it was. It was like March. So it had to be pre, it had to sure. be rookie training camp. Sure. And so they came up from Port St. Lucie and Pete Alonzo was the one who in training camp was making all the big moves, making all the people very excited, him, Jeff McNeil, and the third one who's na- uh, Jed Lowry. So we were very psyched. And uh, my dad and I went out to Syracuse to watch the training session. Thor was going to throw, DeGrom was going to throw. And it was the cool, it was the coolest. It was right when we hired Brody Van Wagenen and he had just signed DeGrom to a long-term extension. So Pete Alonzo's going around uh, with like the Keon Broxton's of the group and like signing things for people. Yeah. Because he was just excited to be there. He didn't think he was going to make the team. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm Pete Alonzo. Hi, my name is Pete. Like shaking everybody's hands. Jeff McNeil was doing the same thing as was the Jed Lowry's of the bunch. And it was adorable. So he came around and he like shook our hand and he was really like, he was just like genuinely nice signing balls for every little kid in the bunch and we were able to just chat with him for like, you know, our little section of people for a, for a minute. And I was like, dad, that was Pete Alonzo. How cool was that? And let me tell you something. Those legs are like tree trunks. <laughs> I have photos like up close of just his thighs. They're, they're in, I was like, dude. He's a professional dude. athlete. I would hope so. You don't want him to have like little scrawny chicken legs. That'd be he weird. is incredibly like solid like I feel like you could not pick him up if you tried I think with baseball I sometimes think about like fantasy baseball in replacement for real baseball mm-hmm. and I feel like there wasn't a player and I could be wrong here in the last couple of years who shot up in like oh my god this guy's a star immediately like Pete Alonzo like people were <laughs> all over Pete Alonzo like immediately and I I, I was kind of stunned by how how popular and in, in on it everyone was a, from the day one no one was more surprised than Pete Alonzo. No one, <laughs> no one was more surprised. I love when he does interviews. I loved it. That first rookie season when he did, which was what, like two years ago now? Yeah. Except for this 2020 BS season that we had. He was like, Hey guys, I'm Pete. I'm just really excited to play. Nice to see you. If I get sent down to the minors, that's okay too. I'm here. Look, I'm on TV. Hi mom. Like it was the cutest thing. Uh, but Aaron- now the Mets, hold on. Now the Mets have made some very exciting movements during this off season. We have uncle Steve. So. Uncle Stevie Cohen, your boy. Uh, see, here's the thing. Part we're going to win so much because we're rich now. My residual Yankee fandom still 
my my initial thought is to be like, that's cute and pat you on the head hmm. uh, because that's what Yankee fans do. But I have to say, I am, I am rooting for the Mets. And I want to ask you, you know, outside of your Mets fandom, realistically, do you think the Mets will make the playoffs this season? No. No, you don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so. You don't think it's enough with Lindor? Lindor uh, and Carrasco are a good added bonus for us, but I still think that even if we even if we pad those, we pad these positions, there's something missing. Hmm. There's been something missing since uh, since we lost Terry Collins. It is that like camaraderie. It is that puzzle. Like I said, it's the wet puzzle piece concept. And so I don't know if the new era with uh, Uncle Steve and building around Luis Rojas will do that for us. You know, building a team, building somebody that we want to win for. Like there was nobody like Terry Collins as a manager. And even though we stunk, like you still had hope because he would come out and fight for people. He came out and we all know the tirade that I'm speaking of. Like he will come out and rip you a new one because you looked wrong at at Noah Syndergaard. Like, we need that again. And maybe that's this year. But I just don't think that you can put players in pieces and and somehow come up with, I don't know. What do I know? I'm stunned that you're going to slander the man, myth, and legend Bobby Valentine by saying he's not your favorite New York Mets manager. That man snuck into the dugout with a mask, with a Groucho Marx glasses on. It's one of the great moments in baseball history. Do you know that I asked him about that? You asked him what he say? So... <laughs> So I met Bobby Valentine. Yes. I met Bobby Valentine a few years ago and Tommy Lasorda. They were together. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. I was very concerned for Bobby's well-being when Tommy died. Yeah. I, I was like, has anybody talked to Bobby Valentine? Is he okay? You went to Bobby, yeah. Because they were best friends, which was really cute. And when I went, when I met them, they were at, they were at Cooperstown. Mm. And there was this big long line to meet Tommy Lasorda because hello, it's Tommy Lasorda. And I got in the line, not knowing that it was just the Tommy Lasorda line. And I got up to the front and I was like, hi, Mr. Valentine. Like I just, Tommy Lasorda goes, one for you. What's, um, who's the guy who used to be the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, went to the Cubs, what's his name? Joe, Joe Madden? Joe Madden. He's the last manager I met when I was living in New York. He used to come into Carmine's all the time because he liked the restaurant and when he was working for the Rays. Mm-hmm. And he was another guy who was like, I was like, that guy's the manager of the Rays. And I was like, oh, I'm going to tell him that I'm a Yankee fan. And then I met him. He was like, super yeah. his wife were super friendly. And I was like, oh, I'm glad you guys are enjoying lasagna. <laughs> yeah, you're like, enjoy it. I'm so glad for you. You suck at the team, but good for you. Mm. My uh, team's better than you, but whatever. But yeah. anyway, Bobby Valentine told me that it was eye black. Like they had those eye black stickers. <laughs> so- <laughs> He like put it on his belly. That's amazing. So he went into the dug. He went into the uh, clubhouse and he got two eye black stickers and stuck them on his upper lip. Because I always thought it was like he dipped his finger in something and did it, or it was like a fake mustache he just happened to have because he was Bobby Valentine. But no, it was just two eye black stickers and a pair of Ray Bans. I to, mean, to this day, maybe the greatest for me, one of the funniest moments in baseball history. Oh, easily, easily one of the top ten, easily. Higgins, uh, I want to watch the rest of this football game before I have to go to dinner. So I'm going to do some lightning round questions with you. And then are I will... you doing anything special for your birthday dinner? I'm going to my mom's for a little bit. We're going to do. I mean, are you guys having anything that was your choice? Uh, I mean, you no. are 35 now. You know why? My stepdad's birthday is also two days before this. So okay. Joe's dinner. And I don't, and I'm very, that's, I, I don't mind. That's chicken. Ketchup you know, so. 
my 35th birthday was April, right? And um, I was dating someone at the time. And during my 35th birthday party, which was me and him and my folks having cake because it was still quarantine, yeah. uh, his dad died Oof. midway through cake. Oh. <laughs> that is horrible. Oh, my God. Like, if you. Oh, it's dark. <laughs> I'm sorry. But if you can't, like, if you just can't understand that the quarantine and the pandemic is just the worst thing, then just always remember that at the time, my birthday was marred by a man's death. Oh. So I'm going to be 35 again next year. A celebration of birth and of death, of life and of death all at once. I was like, do you want me to sing Circle of Life now or? <laughs> Before we get to the lightning round questions, just remember you can follow Aaron Higgins on Twitter at Aaron New Shoes. Mm. Uh, all right, lightning round questions. I got three of them for you. Are you ready? Yo, born ready. Number one, uh, earlier this week was the final, uh, or sorry, early, at the end of last week was the last episode of Jeopardy featuring Alex Trebek. I just want to shout one up to the legend, Alex Trebek. Poor uh, one out. Uh, Aaron, if you were on Jeopardy, what's mm -hmm. one category that you think you'd be better at than anybody else? Oh, that's a toughie. There's so many things I'm better at than other people. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> like, where do I start, really? Uh, I'm actually, uh, let's go with fruit. Oh, fruit. You're big. In <laughs> I was going to say Rachel Witterfax. That was going to be my, my choice. <laughs> Rachel Witterfax is also a good one. <laughs> Wait, types of sweaters from J. Crew. Is that a one? Types of sweaters. Hold on. Quotes from Schitt's Creek. Anybody? Anybody for that? Oh, my mom is so mad at me because she's been hassling me to watch Shit's Creek for a year and I watched an episode on TV and I did not laugh once and I told her and she is mad at me. She's wearing uh, a shirt when I went to see her yesterday. You have to start in the beginning and power through the first few seasons or the first few episodes because they're not very funny at all. Yeah. And then you get into it. It's just background information. Um, let's go with Rachel Witterfax on that one. <laughs> Rachel Witterfax about fruit. Uh, How Rachel Witter feels about certain fruits. How about that? <laughs> what's something during this pandemic that you either learned or tried to get better at? Wow, what a great question. Hmm. What a really good question. I didn't. Nothing. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> well, you're, doing, you're fixing your kitchen, are you not? Yeah. Do you know what that looks like for me, though, right now? It's just, it's just uh, making phone calls and being like, somebody help me. I'm so helpless. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. Right now, it's just, it's just, you know, I've ordered stuff and just it's kind of like a waiting game, but it's really just relying on my father's ability to help. So uh, I've done, I've, I've done not too much. All right. Well, then give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. You did mention Ted Lasso, so you could say it again if you want. Um, I'm not here to promote Ted Lasso, but if I was, I would, this would be the spot. It's so good. I don't understand anything about soccer and the accents are very, very heavy. And sometimes they speak too fast and I've got to rewind it a scooch, but sometimes. oh God, is it so good. It's so heartwarming. And I, I just, oh, Woo. love it. Um, what else am I watching? I just started watching a Stephen King thing, which is kind of like, meh, whatever. Oh, wait, was it the stand? Yeah, it is the stand. So that's like my favorite book of all time. I have a tattoo on my arm of the stand of the original, like of the first edition cover of the stand. 
they they made a terrible miniseries in the 80s 90s with like rob lowe in it and there it is. it's really bad yep and i watched the trailer for this new one and i was just like this doesn't look good it doesn't look right like i i i will probably watch it because i've because of how much i'm invested in the stand but nothing i've heard about it is that it's good so um i'll tell you right now it's it's i, I didn't read the book obviously mm -hmm. i don't read a lot of stephen king in my free time um but I don't hate it. Okay. It's silly. It's goofy. You're like, this is, this doesn't feel like a real show, but there are moments where I'm like, Ooh, that was, in, that was interesting. Uh, famously, the book is like 1400 pages long. It's crazy big. So I think the issue has always been, how do you turn this like Matt, because there's like 30 characters and it's huge and it spans the entire. There are country. a lot of characters. I still haven't met them all. Yeah, yeah. If you think you have, you still haven't. So, uh, Higgins, I'm going to let you go so I can watch the rest of this game and get ready for dinner because I was going to shower before I got on the thing with you, but then I was running late, so I smell. So I'm sorry. I'm showered. Well, you're... My hair, my hair has progressively dried over the course of this interview. Which is why I'm not going to do a screenshot of you right now. You can just send me whatever photo you want. No, no, no. This is good. Ready? Hold on. All right. Well, hang on. Siri, oh. how do I do the thing where they just... God, I don't remember how to do it. Oh, you know what? This is... Siri, take a screenshot of the screen. Wait. Here's what I found. Oh, God damn it. Just send me a picture. I'm bad. No. <laughs> Come on. This is bad radio. <laughs> okay, just send me a picture. Wait, I love you. Right now is where we're going to draw the line on bad radio? Yes, this is where I'm going to draw the line. Listen, I love you. I appreciate wow. you. Wow. Uh, and I wish I could talk to you more. I'll text you after this and we can talk more about the Mets and the Giants. I love you. My birthday king. <laughs> That's my duty game for the rest of the day. Higgins, I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for spending some time with us. Bye, my darling. Bye. Bye. So yeah, love talking to Aaron. Always a joy. Always a great pleasure. Um, I didn't really get a lot of feedback on um, Utica Legends last week with Roscoe Conkling. People were not excited, not as excited about Utica Legends as I was. <laughs> you gotta, there has to be, the problem with the Utica Legends is like you give them the name, but then they get the paragraphs and folks are just like, well, I don't know about Conkling. We gotta get exciting bullet points for Conkling, I think. To Those get were Conkling bullet over. points! Shorter bullets. <laughs> the people need like... Four bullet points, maximum of nine words. In the four bullet points, bang, 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 quick speed, Roscoe Conklin. Well, if you prefer that, get ready, because I got some paragraphs for hey, you, kids. Uh, wake up, Stitcher Hive. Yeah, wake up, Stitcher Hive. It's time for history lessons on this day, 1128. Uh, Pope Honorus II granted a papal sanction to the military order known as the Knights Templar, declaring them officially to be the Army of God. Mm. Knights Templar. Led by Frenchman Hughes de Payens, the Knights Templar organization was founded in 1118. A self-imposed mission was to protect Christian pilgrims on their way to and from the Holy Land during the Crusades. Uh, by the time the Crusades ended unsuccessfully in the early 14th century, the order had grown extremely wealthy. Uh, a lot of that had to do with a proclamation in 1127 that allowed 
people who were not just noblemen and of noble birth to actually become members of the Knights Templar. Originally, mm. the first grouping of the Knights Templar was only about nine members because there were such rigid rules for inclusion that not many people met them. Uh, but by the time they ended the Crusades, they had grown extremely wealthy, provoking the jealousy of both religious and secular powers. 1307, King Philip IV of France and Pope Clement V combined to take down the Knights Templar, arresting their Grand Master on charges of heresy, sacrilege, and Satanism. Under torture, Grand Master Malloy and the other Templars confessed and were eventually burned at the stake. Uh, and the Templars, in earnest, were dissolved in 1312. Uh, the modern-day Catholic Church has admitted that the persecution of the Knights Templar was unjustified and claimed that Pope Clement was pressured by secular rulers to dissolve the order, but that sounds like a little bit of hand-wringing, if you ask uh -huh. me. Over the centuries, myths and legends about the Templar have grown, including the belief that they have discovered many holy relics at uh, uh, Temple Mount, including the Holy Grail, Ark of the Covenant, or parts of the True Cross from Jesus' crucifixion. The imagined secrets of the Templar have inspired various books and movies, including, and not limited to, the most famous of them, The Da Vinci Code, which has a lot of Knights Templar influence mm -hmm. in it. Da Vinci Code low-key ruined the world. It did, in a weird way, yeah, right? Yeah, like, everything's yeah. a conspiracy. It got, it got way, it, you know what the, it's that goddamn Dan Brown, <laughs> writing his children's books disguised as adult novels with three pages per chapter, written like cliffhangers of like a bad season of NCIS, just tossing all this wild symbolism out into the world and getting people on all this crazy occult thinking without ever giving a thought to what it means. Cashing his checks, still not getting a good haircut. Dan Brown, thumbs down. I'm done with this guy. You know, it's true. And I've read a ton of his books. I, I've also read a lot of Big Macs and they're not good for health. So, like, what are we going to... No, it's... Actually, having any Big Mac kind of is whack. I don't think you Big Macs are very good. I know, I know what you mean. Good. Uh, I would say that, yeah, I think Dan Brown is a good jumping off point to, like, the... It's all a conspiracy, the bro. Popularity. It's yeah, really these all... people who are like deep state, shadowy huh. cabal, all working together. The symbolism, the Knights Templar, the Vatican, Illuminati, the all Gates, that shit. All yeah. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, Louise. Dan Brown. Does Dan Brown like Trump? What? Does Dan Brown like Trump? Is he oh, a QAnon no. guy? I don't. If I cared no. less about what Dan Brown likes, I'm dead. <laughs> On this day. Probably not, though. He seems like he seems. He no, seems like I bet not. I bet not. All right. On this day, well, 1908, U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt declares the massive Grand Canyon in northwestern Arizona. A national monument. Uh, though Native Americans lived in the area as early as the 13th century, the first European sighting of the canyon wasn't until 1540. Uh, my members of the expedition heralded by the... Seeing that thing for the first time. Yeah, my goodness, what a hole. <laughs> the hell is that? Uh, <laughs> uh, this was heralded by Spanish explorer Francisco Vasquez de Corano. Mm. Uh, Coronado, pardon me. Uh, because of its remote and inaccessible location, several centuries passed before Native American settlers really explored the canyon. 1869, geologist John Wesley Powell led a group of 10 men into the first uh, difficult journey down the rapids of the Colorado River along the length of the 277-mile gorge. By the end of the 19th century, the Grand Canyon had attracted thousands of tourists each year, including the most famous one, President Teddy Roosevelt, a New Yorker with a particular affliction, affection, affliction, affliction's mm. a t-shirt company, affection for yeah, the, you would know. I would know, brah, <laughs> uh, affection of the American West. After becoming president in 1901, following the assassination of President William McKinley, Roosevelt made environmental conservation a major part of his presidency, establishing the National Wildlife Refuge to protect the country's animals, fish, and birds. Uh, then he turned attention to federal regulation of public land, Through, though a region could get national park status, which meant that all private development was illegal, only by an act of Congress. 
Roosevelt cut down on the red tape by beginning a new presidential practice of granting a smaller national monument designation to some of the world's greatest treasures. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Teddy Roosevelt, you can thank An him. All-timer. An all-timer. Teddy Roosevelt, all-timer. Uh, Congress did not officially outlaw private development of the Grand Canyon until 1919 when Woodrow Wilson signed the Grand Canyon National Park Act. Today, more than 5 million people visit the canyon every year. The floor is accessible by foot, mule, or boat. And whitewater rafting. Uh, hiking and running in the area is especially popular. Many choose to conserve their energies and simply take in the breathtaking view uh, from the canyon south rim, some 7,000 feet above sea level, and marvel at the vista virtually unchanged mm. for 400 years. Mm. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, never been that far west. Uh, would you like some conspiracy corner content for the Grand Canyon? Absolutely. Why not? Love to see it. So uh, the, the conspiracy, the most prevalent conspiracy about the Grand Canyon is that when people were originally exploring it, you know, in the 1800s and, you know, like the white folks and Americans getting out there and going in, they discovered a bunch of mummies. Yeah. Now, these mummies were of eight, nine, ten-foot-tall, red-haired giants. So people think that the, the government and the Smithsonian always are covering up this race of giants who lived out there in the Grand Canyon area and the Hopi Desert where the Hopi Indians lived and stuff like that. And that they basically just shooed that away and shut it away and don't talk about it. And the, the real sticking point for the folks who think this is that in during the time that this was happening, multiple reputable newspapers reported, like Smithsonian has the news articles and news clippings of the reportings that these giant redhead mummies were found. Who knows what goes on? I feel like my whole life is the Lisa Simpson meme where she's just looking disgruntledly at a desk. <laughs> like... As, you know what frustrates me? As somebody who always, like, I like, you know, uh, supernatural books and horror books and, like, occult reading and all this different stuff is yeah. interesting. And I was always interested in conspiracies from, uh, like, that, like, semi-fiction level. Like, I yeah. wish that conspiracies could go back to being, hey, did you know there was an there was an ancient race of giants that lived in the Grand Canyon? That's that's nice. Yeah, except... That's a nice conspiracy. Yeah. You know I used to I mean? like those books until I found out the guy who wrote them... Oh! Giant racist. Well, yeah, it's tough. But, I mean, to be fair, examine your bookshelf. That's Maybe true. decolonize no, your true. bookshelf, Sam. Maybe yeah, no, decolonize your bookshelf. I just bought that whole book about the philosophy of horror. I'm ready to dig into it. I'm looking no, forward true. to it. Uh, all right, let's do another history lesson. This is a nice mm. light one. Here's to you, Joe DiMaggio. On this day, 1946, it was the ultimate all-American romance. The tall, handsome hero of the country's national pastime captures the heart of the most beautiful, glamorous Hollywood star. The brief... Uh, vi uh, volatile marriage of Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio uh, briefly got past the honeymoon before cracks began to show uh, in the brilliant veneer. 1952, the New York Yankee slugger asked an acquaintance to arrange a dinner date with Marilyn Monroe, a buxom blonde model turned actress whose star was on the rise after supporting roles in such films as Monkey Business and a, B and a, re a leading role in the B-movie thriller Don't Bother to Knock, both in 1952. I mean, uh, I like uh, this era... Where Joe DiMaggio was just like, yeah, 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 have my agent set this up, right? <laughs> Yo, can you call Marilyn Monroe for me and just set a date up? Like, I'm just the boldness of DiMaggio in this era. Uh, press immediately picked up on their relation and began to cover it extensively. Uh, though Monroe and DiMaggio preferred to keep a low profile, spending evenings at home or in the back corner of DiMaggio's restaurant, which is a mm. great a great sentence. Mm. On January 14, 1954, they were married in San Francisco City Hall, where they were mobbed by reporters and fans. Monroe was apparently mentioned uh, apparently mentioned the wedding plans to someone at her film studio, who then leaked it to the press. Mm. Uh, 
It was not a long engagement, unfortunately. Uh, DiMaggio and Monroe were divorced on October 1954, so just 274 days after they were married. Uh, in her filing, Monroe accused her husband of mental cruelty, uh, which if you've ever watched the movie 61, I'm sure that uh, Mickey Mantle will agree that Joe DiMaggio, psychological madman, mental cruelty, bringing it down on you. Uh, she married playwright Arthur Miller in 1956, but their marriage also ended in divorce in January 1961, leaving Monroe in a state of emotional fragility. Uh, in 1961, that year, she was also admitted to a psychiatric clinic. It was Jamaggio himself who secured her release and took her to the Yankees' Florida Spring Training Camp for rex and relaxation. So, good on you, Joe. Helping her out. No, you don't feel good I, about that. So, well, that's it. becomes It becomes it's it becomes one of these things where it's interesting, right, to talk about with the the lens. Because Joe DiMaggio always a great guy, held up as a hero. The Yankee Clipper hit all these hits, but like also undeniably a bad guy who bad like, beats women extensively. Yeah, beat Marilyn Monroe extensively. And we've got these mm. people who are like the hero, you know, these these folklore heroes. Yeah. And you know, I'm a Yankee fan for life. And people talk about DiMaggio, but DiMaggio's no hero, and he's no. not. DiMaggio was never a good guy. Uh, you do any real, actual reading about him, uh, not a good guy. You know, fuck no, him. No, fuck him. I'll take the championships. Well, fuck him. I don't need him. <laughs> I get it. And like we can, we can talk about that stuff. It's not, you know, we're not canceling Joe DiMaggio. We're just saying if we're gonna talk about Joe DiMaggio, we'll talk about all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, With yeah. The benefit of history when somebody was, you know, existing, doing their thing, you know, going on 60, 70, 80 years ago now. That's just the way it's got to be. Uh. If you want any further context, there were rumors that they did get remarried after this in the late 60s, mm. uh, although they maintained the status they were just very good friends. One thing I'll say about Joe DiMaggio, he, uh, every day, for every week for his entire life, he sent flowers to the grave. That's correct. Every week yep. or every year on her birthday or something like that. Yeah, he, when she died of a drug overdose in 62, he arranged for the funeral, and then over the next two decades, until his own death in 1999, he sent roses several times a week to her grave in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I think that becomes an interesting, something you and me have talked about off the air, but that interesting, uh, you know, complicated looking back at people from our grandparents' oh generation yeah. of, like, that hothead madman Italian that's going to go cheat, that's going to beat his wife and have a gumad and do this yeah. and that, and that's just the Under accepted the thumb. cultural thing at the time, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. And so we can't look back and vilify these people as full-on demons, but we have to, you know, discuss what was done and what the effects and fallout of that might have been. If we hope to have, you know, you have to have truth if you want reconciliation, so to speak. Good words. Great words. I love it. Got all the best I, got words. Got all the best words on this day. All the best uh, words on this day. On this day, 1964. This is, I guess, an, uh, a history no duh, mm. right? On this day, 1964, U.S. Surgeon General announces definitive link between smoking and cancer. That was the U.S. Surgeon General Luther Terry. Uh, he knew his report was a bombshell, and he initially, he intentionally chose to release it on January 11th because it was a Saturday, so it would limit the immediate effects on the stock market. It was on this date that Terry uh, announced a definitive link between smoking and cancer. Link had long been suspected. Uh, anecdotal evidence had already pointed to negative health effects from smoking, and by the 1930s, physicians were noticing an increase in lung cancer cases. Uh, first medical studies that raised serious concerns were published in Great Britain in 1940. Uh, the news was major, but hardly surprising. Uh, New York Times reported the findings, saying it could hardly have been otherwise. Still, the Surgeon General's report was a major step in health officials' crusades against smoking. Uh, though tobacco companies spent millions and millions and were largely successful in fending off anti-smoking laws until the 90s, 
Uh, studies have shown the reports increased the percentage of Americans who believed in the cancer link to 70% and that smoking decreased by a roughly 11% between 1965 and 1985. California would go on to become the first state to ban smoking in enclosed public spaces back in 1995. 20 more, 25 more states have now passed similar laws, including 50 of the 60 largest cities in America. In 2019, the Surgeon General announced a link between serious disease and e-cigarettes, an alternative to smoking, in which traditional tobacco companies uh, were invested heavily. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's I always go back to this. There's like a famous like stand-up comedian who was doing a bit about that, about like you know in the 50s smoking. It's just this guy walking like, "Hey, Joe. Hey, Phil. What's going on? Nothing. Doctor says I gotta get my lungs removed. They don't know why. They think maybe I'm brushing my teeth too much. <laughs> like just the like. It seems so obvious in hindsight. Like, oh, everyone lung cancer going up. I I wonder what it was. Hand me a smoke. Will you give me a lucky strike? I only smoke lucky strikes. No filter. Yeah, large corporations <laughs> paid money to lie to the American people. What is it about? Shout out to Exxon Mobil. What is it about cigarettes, though? Because, you know, I, I used to be an avid cigarette smoker. I was probably a one to two pack smoker a week at my sure. very best sure. living in New York. And I knew it was bad for me then. And I didn't care. Because you're addicted. Because you're addicted. See, I thought it was always that I thought I was cool. I thought I looked cool. I thought, that, that, I thought that was like a meme that people thought that. No, 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 no. Think about it. Standing out in front of the bars in New York, late at night, the smoke curling up around Caught me. Caught up in the narrative. Steely Dan playing in the background. Jesus. Great stuff. Come on, man. Oh, it's cool. Uh, no, and that's and I think that was the problem. I, I was one of those kids who mm. thought that smoking was kind of cool. Also, smoking was kind of peripheral, peripheral to my life. Like, there were people in my family who smoked cigarettes. Like... My sure. mom was always against it. But I'd seen Sal smoke a cigarette or two. My sister's, you know, not Kelly, but my other sister would occasionally smoke a cigarette here and there, and I would see him around the house. Yeah. It was a little like, oh, that's what old people do. That's what old adults do. Adults smoke cigarettes, right? Mm. And I think that's kind of how I got sucked into it. Sure. Uh, but to be honest, like, once you don't smoke cigarettes all that often, it the smell kind of wears off because it smells bad and your fingers smell bad, and you're like, oh, man, do I always smell like this? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. You always do. <coughs> See, I was smoking a cigarette before, and now I'm coughing. All right, on this day, I wasn't really. On this day, 1999, Michael Jordan retired for the last time. I'm sorry, for the second to last time. Mm. Uh, in this retirement, Michael Jordan announced uh, his retirement from public uh, professional basketball for the second time in front of his Chicago uh, hometown fans. Uh, Jordan had an outstanding college career, University of North Carolina. He was the third player drafted in 1984. NBA draft. Kevin, can you name the two players taken before Michael Jordan in 1984? Uh, yeah. What's his name? Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie, and, number two. Uh, that is correct. Hakeem was that the Hakeem? Hakeem Olajuwon. Very nice. Yeah. One, two. I mean, can't argue about Hakeem. One of the all-time greats. Sam mm-hmm. Bowie, one of the all-time misses. Right. Uh, Jordan helped the Bulls make the playoffs in each of his first six seasons with the team. In 1991, he got to his first NBA final, where he led the team to the first of three consecutive championships. Mm. Now, you're a LeBron fan because he plays for the Lakers. Not, I know you weren't always a LeBron fan, necessarily, but you've come around on LeBron in the last couple of years, I would imagine, as a Laker. I'd rather be on my team than somebody else's team, I guess. So, I feel like the Jordan narrative is like, oh, Jordan went to six finals and he won six titles. But my man made the playoffs for a long time before that and didn't win, right? Correct. So, do we give Jordan too much credit for the six titles kind of thing? Is he? Is he? Are we giving him a little too much credit? I'm not. I'm not gonna go down uh, Mike and Mike in the morning hot take avenue about is Jordan overrated. Mike I'm is not, <laughs> in sticking with good faith conversations. I'm not gonna take that turn. But like, I mean, yeah, you could. You can make the argument. You you can like the the fact that Jordan is to be unquestioned 
as the greatest of all time, I I don't think holds as much water. You've got to critically look at the things, you know, and do a real compare and contrast. Mike, Mike, I think it's impossible to look at LeBron's <laughs> entire career and not say he was better than Jordan. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I have to. <laughs> I think... You're not sorry. You're not <laughs> I am sorry, sorry at I'm all. I'm <laughs> sorry. I take this into account. I, I kind of think of it this way. I don't consider Jordan and LeBron to sort of play in the same era. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that this, I think this whole generation of basketball players and athletes, mind you, is physically, like, emotionally different than the athletes of the 90s, right? The whole, the leagues are different. Uh, the the medical stuff they have access to, the way they take the games more seriously for the most part, the athletics in mm. general of the entire league is different. I just yeah. find it to be hard to compare. You know, and this is, I'll, I'll get crapped on for this. Like, Jordan out there still in the 90s probably dunking on some guys who probably wouldn't be in the league today. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's these teams were probably not, overall as good as these teams in the NBA now. That's just my opinion. So don't kill me on that internet. Well, it's, it also it becomes it becomes tough to compare things. It becomes to it becomes tough to compare one thing A to B when B only exists because of a world that's been influenced by A. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like no, that you, makes sense. If you were a fan, say you were a big like um, a, a, a more classical style heavy metal fan and you try to compare, like, oh, who's a better band, Black Sabbath or Metallica? You, you can't really compare those two things because without Black Sabbath doing what they had done, the ecosystem that fostered and grew Metallica wouldn't exist. Yeah. So it's tough to compare LeBron and Jordan playing in the same time because the whole league wouldn't look like it looks if Jordan hadn't done what Jordan did and changed the game in the ways he changed it I, during his time. I use this argument all the time for Tiger Woods. Tiger right. is the great example. Yeah, yeah, like every golfer today. Babe Ruth is the baseball example. Yeah, yeah. every golfer today looks at Tiger Woods, and that was the guy they watched in high school or middle school or whatever. And like, I want to be that guy, right? So now every golfer well, that's plays the, like that's Tiger Well, that's the Woods. reason why all the best golfers now are athletic dudes in their late 20s as opposed to dudes that like, look like they sold your uncle his last car. Shout out to John Daly, the legend. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's do some weird news before we close out here today. Uh, here's a headline I can't believe I have to read. Jamiroquai lead singer JK denies he was at the Capitol riots after fans mistake him for the Q Shaman, who was the gentleman you all saw in the wolf Viking helmet in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I can't believe the Jamiroquai guy had to come out here and say this. He looks it. just like him. He does look just like him he when he's just like him. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in honor of uh, Jamiroquai's uh, lead singer coming out and doing that, I threw on virtual insanity on this week's. I heard Spotify. you. I heard like a half a second on your Bluetooth, and I knew Jamiroquai is a super underrated band. Yeah. And I listened to I'm not like a ton of Jamiroquai, but a bit because their bass player is so phenomenal. I love all the bass playing on Jamiroquai records. Oh yeah. And I feel like uh, Adam Levine and Maroon Five <laughs> owe Jamiroquai some money. Yes, they like, do. Like I hope that Adam Levine and Maroon Five are paying Jamiroquai what they owe Jamiroquai. Much like I hope that small fella from Godsmack is paying Allison Chain's estate for what he's yeah, taking. Yeah, I, I know what you guys did. Mm. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's stick to sports here for a second because you know it's a very common thing. Sports and you know we're only you know sports don't get into politics. Sometimes politics get into sports. Uh, a day after his supporters rioted inside the U.S. Capitol, President Donald Trump has turned his attention back to golf. Shockingly. Mm. Uh, on Thursday, he awarded uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom to retired professional golfer Annika Sorumstam and Gary Player, and posthumously to Babe Zarias, who died in 1956. Uh, Trump, who made his last public appearance on Wednesday, urged Vice President Mike Pence to reject the results of the election. But man, I really think, you know, 
Presidential Medal of Freedom to old golfers, huh? You know who he really likes? He likes golfers. It's pretty obvious. And guess what? That's not just all. It's also announced that later this week, Donald Trump is going to give the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Presidential Medal of Freedom to New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. <laughs> like what? I mean, that's better than that's better than Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes. At least. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 Not, no, Americans love football coaches. They always have. They always Man, have. It just feels so inconsequential. Like, it's just such a, like, what? Just to be a dickhead? Like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't. What does, what has he done? What's he, what's loyalty. Bill Belichick done? Loyalty. Oh, my God. You know who has no loyalty, though? PGA. PGA is planning to cancel uh, the 2022 championship at Trump's New Jersey golf course. That's right. They had scheduled it for Trump's golf course, but no, no more. Canceled is the 2020 uh, PGA championship to take place at Donald Trump's course. You know that bothers him. That's got to be, that probably bothers him more than getting impeached. They're taking away my PGA championship mm. from the course that I own. Mm. I'm, that's, I, that's all I can think of. Like, that's got to get him deeper than a lot of the other stuff that goes on in here. Because I don't think he has, like, any emotions necessarily. But he loves golf. So, mm. get him, PGA. Uh, also this week, in a weird story, Rudy Giuliani uh, in an, uh, called Alabama Senator and former uh, NCAA football coach Tommy Tuberville to stall during the uh, county electoral college votes, uh, asking them for more time. But Rudy Giuliani, in typical Rudy fashion, left a voicemail on the wrong cell phone. I would like it if it was, like, a voicemail to someone who wasn't even a senator. Like, just an actual just wrong number mm-hmm. to, like, a pizza place. Or to, like, or to like just some, some person's voicemail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's... Oh, man. This is why everyone should be a little younger. All these politicians. All these old folks. Big time. Big time. <laughs> these, folks, like, these folks no longer understand the world that they live in. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, and then here's a non-political sports story. But Please. I, but I still hate it. Uh, the NFL... Uh, the NHL. That's right. The National Hockey League. Remember them? I'm no. sure some of our fans do. No, who is that? Uh, the NHL that has announced that it sold the naming it's rights. Sort of Canadian Football Theater it's League? Sort of like that. I see. Uh, they've announced that they have sold the naming rights to the four divisions of the of the league, right? So it's the... It's like the Pepsi Southwest. Yeah, the okay. Honda NHL West Division, the Discover NHL Central Conference, the Mass Mutual NHL Eastern Division, and the Scotiabank NHL North Division. Hilarious. I hate this so much. I love it. It's hilarious. I hate it so much. It's so dumb. I don't like it as a bellwether for what's going on <laughs> like other professional sports, but like just watching a hockey being like, we'll do anything. <laughs> we'll do we'll do anything. Uh, and one small we'll blip. name ourselves the Citibank <laughs> Hockey League. <laughs> That's all I have for sports. I have one quick last uh, political one, but I promise I'll tie it into something here. Uh, the race to be mayor of Houston suburb ended earlier this week when the winner's name was drawn from a top hat. Mm. Skip Sheffworth and Jennifer Lawrence were vying to be the next mayor of Dickinson in Texas, but each ended up with one thousand ten votes after a runoff election last month and a recount earlier this week. According to Texas law, a tie in a race for public officials can be resolved by casting lots. Uh, so, much like the city of Utica, whose name was chosen directly from a pull of a name out of a hat, the mayor of Houston's... Goddamn boogeyman frontier justice. <laughs> we never codified this shit after the 1860s. 
oh, we're just going to cast lots to see who's the mayor because nobody gives a shit about the wild no. field we live in in West Texas. <laughs> and a uh, quick bit of food oh. news before this week we close out. Uh, Pizza Hut, in honor of their 25th anniversary of selling stuffed crust pizza. Remember stuffed crust pizza? Is selling a special item called Nothing But Stuffed Crust, which is the dough ring with no pizza in the center. Does it still come in a circle? It does still come in a circle. There's a photo of it. The Stop Nothing it. But Stuffed Crust Not Pizza. Stop. That's right. It is a circle of bread filled in cheese. I think you're being punked. What is this website? This is on? from the Daily Star. So it's right now in Los Angeles and Dallas, Fort Worth. You can't get it in New York right now, but they're trying it out. Jeez, I can't imagine why their business is plumbing. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, let's do a quick uh, mailbag question before we head out of mm. here. Uh, all right, let me see what I can find for you. Oh, in 40 years, Kevin, what will people be nostalgic for? This is a tough question. I don't really have an answer off the top of my head for this. What will people be nostalgic for in 40 years? Silence? <laughs> like solitude? Quiet? <laughs> like nature? <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the stuff that we're going to destroy in the next 40 years. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, running water. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, if, if you're... Stable. If your question... Well, I, what you, how, how dark you want to go, really? Like, what, what, well, it depends. What silly pop culture thing will people be nostalgic for in this time? Yeah, let's... I, uh, yeah. Anonymity on the internet. Anonymity on the internet. Yeah. See, I wonder if, like, you know, even, like, if cell phones and stuff like that yeah. get so technically advanced. Like, can I just go back to having... That'll definitely be a thing, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think the technology... It'll, it'll be something in the vein of technology. Like, a, a pullback from the technology that we have. Like, that will be something that people will be nostalgic for. If not in 40 years, then even sooner than that, I think. Certainly. Um, that's a tough question, though. If it's fashion, I would say skinny jeans. Will that be back around in 40 years? That like, will have recycled <laughs> twice <laughs> by then. Yeah. Recycled twice. Yeah. Nobody invented. That's like a. That's just an every 10-year, 10-12-year yeah. 10, swing. You know what I mean? And, Kevin, if, you, if your five-year-old self right. suddenly found yourself inhabiting your current body, uh, what would you do first? Uh, Tough question. Uh, I, I would injure myself, probably. <laughs> I would try and do something stupid because I would think I was like going to be a professional wrestler when I was five and I'd probably jump off a couch and break my shoulder or hurt my back because I don't have the physical prowess I had back then. Yeah, I can't think of an answer that's not bleak for that. It's not, it's not bleak. Uh, that's true. I guess... Uh, try to find my parents? Tough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. All right. All right, well, all right, we'll move on to uh, Spotify stuff and then we'll close out for the week. Uh, as I mentioned, I have the one Jamiroquai song on there. Mm. My other pick for the week is a track. This is something I've done before on the show, uh, and I'll do it again. I'll listen to an episode of the Sopranos podcast, which I listen to all the time. Mm. They'll talk about a song from an episode of Sopranos that I forgot about, and then I'll listen to it, and then it'll make its way onto the mix to you guys. So this week's version of that is a song called World Destruction by a band called Time Zone featuring Africa Bumbada. An amazing song. Yeah. It's definitely from the Sopranos episodes, though, so if you're wondering where I got this from, episode of Sopranos. Mm. Uh, and also, relevant. So there you go. Kevin, any tracks you want to highlight this week? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm going to highlight two tracks from uh, two guys that I like quite a bit, listen to a lot of their records, and they seem to be like, you know, just sort of twins of one another from across the sea. 
Um, but I've got to stall while I run out to the playlist. So I'm just going to keep talking about how That's I fine. love songs and music. Well, I can know. keep going if you want. You'll have, have more a chorus stuff. and a verse. No, I'm close. And then sometimes you'll have a bridge and you might be important. a solo. But that's kind of dated at this Solo's point. But as we scroll down, two songs I'd really like to point out. Um, there's a song called Both Ways by Kevin Devine, mm-hmm. who's an American songwriter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, who writes a lot of like protest songs without being like too... Yeah. Uh, too Right on the nail, yeah, I guess. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Uh, but Both Ways is a really, really good song. And I'm also going to highlight uh, the song 21st Century Survival Blues by our friend from across the pond, Frank Turner. Hey, Frank Turner. Who is another, like, old punk hardcore guy who just decided, ah, I'm just going to, like, write songs with my guitar and my band and make, like, modern, punky, folky music yeah. about the state of the world. So those will be the two for me for this week. Beautiful. All right, thanks again uh, to Erin Higgins. We love her to death. She's the best. Shout out Heather Waz. i got to get her back on at some point mm-hmm. in time soon, too. Uh, yeah, hopefully this week in the world won't be quite as bleak <laughs> coming up. Mm. Uh, but if it is, you know, keep fighting the good fight out there, folks. Keep your head up. Yeah, keep your head up. Uh, again, we're all over the place. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher Hive. What am I missing? Am I missing anything? I'm probably missing something. Apple Podcasts, anywhere, say that. Anywhere podcasts. All are. there. Instagram, Twitter, all these different sites. Uh, that's it. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock with tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. We will see you next week for another episode of the Unicast. Mm. Take care, folks. <laughs>